Alrighty guys, welcome back to another episode of How Fitness Changed My Life. Um, you know, a, a podcast where I like to explore the stories and ways that fitness has really changed an individual's life. And I'm joined here today in a beautiful podcasting studio owned by the one and only John Espy, who <laughs> is has been a very influential man in my, my life. Um, if you listened to episode one, you would have already known that. But uh, today we get to sit down and explore his, uh, his own personal stories of how fitness has changed his life directly or indirectly. We'll, we'll get into all the stories of, you know, what he's doing now fitness wise, what he, you know, how he got into fitness and everything that has, you know, changed his life throughout, throughout those stories. So first off, uh, just want to introduce John Espy. He's, uh, like I said, he's been very influential in my own personal life, um, with helping me land my first big job out of college, um, which I'm forever grateful for. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, uh, let him kind of give us the rundown of what he's up to nowadays. And then we'll, we'll take things back to when he started his fitness journey. So, right. Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. It's, it's an honor for sure. Yeah. So, so, so where to begin, you know, I think with me, fitness really started, I, I remember when I was probably nine or 10 years old, my parents decided to buy me a barbell set and really? we still have a picture of me strict pressing it, um, you've coached me before. So, you know, that my form isn't great. It, it probably was a little better back then, but not, not great, but I, I still have that picture and, and I still look at it every now and again, because it, it just really captured my imagination from this, just this idea that you can transform yourself. And I think that's and really at, yeah. at that young of an age, yeah, nine yeah. years old, J just thinking through like, cause you, cause you see, you know, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the, and the Sylvester Stallones on TV and you see them working out and then you realize I can do the same thing if I want yeah. to. Now, granted, you're not going to get the same results, especially <laughs> at that age. But I think that that was really eye opening for me. And I think it applied to a lot of other things in life, because if you can do it with your fitness, you can do it with other things. And it's this whole idea of I can set a goal. And if I put in the work and if I follow it and if I pay attention and, and I'm smart about it, I can I can create the life that I want. But I think fitness was the first time that I ever really realized that, 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 that this connection between setting a goal and then really uh, tracking that goal. Okay. Awesome. So let me, let me take it back a second here. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me you were nine years old mm -hmm. and wanted to get into fitness. What, what made, what made you want to get into fitness at such a young age when, you know, most people when they're nine, they're, they're just worried about <laughs> going and, you know, riding their bike around the neighborhood or something. Well, for me, I think it was really watching the Rocky movies and just seeing Sylvester Stallone train. Just, he took these crazy training regimens and you could you know, the, it was such a core part of the storyline was how good he trained yeah, for sure. directly correlated to how well he did in, in the fights. And it may have been something before that, but that, that's the one that sticks out as, as really uh, having the most meaning to me. But I also remember watching Saturday cartoons, which you're too young to remember, but you used <laughs> to have to wait till Saturday mornings to watch cartoons. <laughs> and I accidentally left it running after the last cartoon and WWE wrestling came on afterwards. Uh -huh. And so seeing all these big Jack dudes beating the crap out of each other, that might've been part of the inspiration as well. <laughs> just seeing what really fit people would do. But yeah, for whatever reason that I think that was when it first captured my imagination. Amazing. That that's crazy. So, all right. So you're nine years old, you get your barbell set and I assume you probably, you know, you were just doing stuff at your house, right? You were yep. just kind of messing around. Um, 
and you were doing that as you grew older. Did you get into sports um, sure. in, in this age? And, and with that, you know, obviously it's. So, I, so I did, I did sports back then. And I would say that the workout routines I did didn't really, I, you, you, I didn't see any results from them. <laughs> I think it was more just me thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. Cause yeah. that's what I see Rocky yeah, yeah, doing yeah. Uh, where I think that the next time that sports capture or fitness captured my imagination if you fast forward to high school football um, or high school, uh, I actually, the year before high school, I played on a lacrosse team and I played with a bunch of kids that were a lot bigger and a lot stronger. And frankly, they were a year or two older than I was and, yeah. and much more skilled. And I got my ass kicked doing it, but I, it was fun. And I said, I, I want to, I really want to be good at this. And then I signed up for the freshman football team and it was the same story. A, a lot of the kids were bigger than I was and stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, as a freshman, you know, you're probably going to be the smallest guy. There, yeah. So. Yeah. And, but at some point I, I realized like, if I want to compete on either the lacrosse team or the football team, I'm going to have to get stronger. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate to have a good friend that I shared a locker with as a freshman. And he was into bodybuilding magazines and he was into supplements and he was into really being thoughtful about working out. Yeah. And, and I think that was when when things started to really shift, I also, you know, probably was hitting puberty around that time. <laughs> and that, that obviously helps when you hit a good growth spurt. Yeah. And, and I was able to become a whole lot stronger by 10th grade. And then in 10th grade, um, I met a guy, um, who had held every single weightlifting record at our high school. He had gone on to play for NC state. He broke their record for, for squats while he was a freshman at really? NC state. And he, had gone through just a debilitating disease. The doctors really butchered the, the treatment for him. He almost died. And I remember meeting him in the weight room. And again, I was 15, I was in 10th grade and I was getting stronger, but I wasn't really, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I had achieved any of my goals or was you know, well on my way to achieving my goals. And then walks Dan Hayden and he looks, he's tiny, he's skinny. And I remember- And he here, was like a beast, right? And he was a beast. He was, he, he was squatted 750 pounds when he was a freshman in college. He could dunk from the free throw line when he was a sophomore in high school. And, <laughs> and here he was, he couldn't even hit the, the um, he'd, he'd put the bar on his back and he squatted it four or five times and couldn't walk for a week as he told people. And it was a really unique opportunity for me because as I saw, as he started to really improve his health through exercise, I was able to be there right with him. And yeah. it would have been hard for me to sit down and learn from a guy who's squatting 500 pounds when I wasn't, but because mm -hmm. I got to catch him on his trajectory back up, it was really an instructive time for me. And he was just a very inspirational guy, a very smart coach. He actually ended up taking a job as the strength coach of, at NC state once oh, he, really? once he had healed himself. So he wasn't just a beast himself, but he was like Stu, very smart, really understood yeah. fitness in a <laughs> meaningful did. way. Yeah. So let me ask what, was the condition or thing that, you know, took, took him out of being so strong to being, it was, it was something with his digestive tract. There okay. was something there. And he, he ended up, I think he, what he told me was when he went into surgery, he weighed 240 pounds and I would guess at a four or 5%, but I mean, he was a beast. Yeah, and, jacked. and then when he came out of it barely alive, I think he weighed maybe 150. Um, and, and again, he, he literally squatted the bar four or five times and, and couldn't walk because he was so, so sore, but it was amazing to see how yeah. quickly it came back. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, he was still alive, which is, he which was is still alive. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So <laughs> would you say that he was kind of your, 
not role model, but like inspiration to want to, you know, get, her, get Oh, there's no doubt do that. that phase of my fitness a hundred percent was all about Dan Hayden. And I wasn't the only one. I mean, we, we had a special bond. He came to some of my lacrosse games and he, okay. he really took an interest and I started going down a bad path with some of my extracurricular activities. And he would set me to the side and tell me like, you're, you're going to mess things up yeah. for yourself. So he was a very, very positive role model, but it wasn't just for me. There was a whole group of us who all kind of realized pretty early on, like this is one of the smartest people in the world of, of weightlifting and training for football that we know. And he played starting fullback for NC state, which is a, you know, real division one program. I think we, and and he was just willing to put in the time into each of our lives. And so I think that that, that it's safe to say that he was the most influential in terms of training in, in, in my high, at least in my high school yeah. years for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Shout out to Dan Hayden. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So, so let's take it to the post post high school years, right? I know you went to Duke university mm-hmm. for undergrad, correct? No, that was grad school. Okay. never mind. Yeah. So um, you'll want to start at George Mason university, uh, oh, which okay. is where I went to undergrad. <laughs> All right. So let's take it back a couple of years to George Mason. When you, uh, when you, you know, left Dan Hayden and all the boys and you went to mm-hmm to, um, college was fitness still in your life or was it more about, you know, partying and grades and all that stuff? It was more about partying for sure. And at some point it became about work and I ended up taking a a year off and then going back part-time. And I would say that I, I reached a low point in my life in terms of fitness. I got skinny again. I probably dropped to 165 pounds. I wasn't very strong. I was, you know, good six foot two back then. Um, smoking cigarettes, uh, drinking, not, not crazy, but drinking and, and certainly fitness just wasn't a part of the equation. Yeah. Uh, but I think the good news is I had the muscle memory and I knew, I think my fundamental mindset was a healthy mindset. I just fell into some bad yeah. habits temporarily, yeah. um, which is why it's so it important. It was because Dan Hayden wasn't there. It was because of Dan Hayden. <laughs> you needed him to come to college. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think that I decided at some point to start weightlifting again and I quit smoking and, and I just started recommitting to, to the, really? the habits that I had. And, and I got very, very strong. I think at one point I was probably bench pressing 385. I, I wouldn't call myself healthy by what I define healthy as today, but I was strong. I could run. Um, I was a big, big guy, yeah. you know, certainly, uh, wasn't a guy who was going to be running any marathons or winning any foot races, but I was, <laughs> I was strong. And I knew that I wanted to play, uh, play lacrosse again. I had gotten to a point where I was very good at lacrosse in high school. And then when I kind of went down a bad path, I just lost track of it, but I was young enough where I said, I, you know, I really want to do this. And yeah. so I got myself back into what I would call lacrosse shape. And at that point I was in very good shape, um, for sure. But I was, and I was strong and I was, you know, I was in, in what I would call a healthy, healthy place for sure. Um, okay. So this is interesting to me because I feel like people, it's very easy to fall out of fitness Mm -hmm. and, you know, go in these waves of coming in and out of fitness. And obviously you just explained you fell out of fitness for a little while. Um, and I just, I'm curious, what was the motivation for you to get back into fitness? Um, maybe, you wanted to play lacrosse or maybe it was something much deeper than that. Well, well I would say that the, I, I knew that I could, uh, that I was a physically strong guy when I had put my mind to it. I knew mm-hmm. that I had the body to do it. And I just, I don't, I don't know if it's when you're in college, if it's a girl's thing or if it's just a fun thing or knowing the feeling of being able to excel at something. Yeah. But there was just a point. I remember working out at, at the gym and there was a group of guys that I didn't know, but they knew, you know, we, we, we'd seen each other and I asked one of them to spot me and it was on like 
315 pounds, call it on bench press. And yeah, one of them looked strong <laughs> man right there. Well, and one of the guys looked at the other guy and goes, he don't need a spot. <laughs> and it was true. I did like eight or nine reps, which is yeah. insane. Right. And, and there was something really that felt really good. Now that's yeah. not that useful of a thing to have. And there's a million things I'd rather be good at than bench press today. You know? But, but that was motivating to me at the time. But then I really didn't care about what you'd call functional fitness until I had said, uh, set a goal for myself. I'm going to go play lacrosse again and I'm going to get to a, a, a level where I'm starting. You know, yeah. I, I didn't start the first two seasons in my last season at, at Mason playing, I, I, I did start and was there one of go. the, one of the stronger players on the team, but that became very motivating to me to get back to where I thought I should be in terms of playing okay. lacrosse. Awesome. And so were you on the lacrosse team th all four years or? <laughs> no. So I was there for a total of six years and the okay. first three years I did not, I didn't even know we had a lacrosse team, oh, okay. but then I, then I started looking into it and saying, as I was getting into better shape and, and getting back into going to school full time, I was like, this would be really cool to go. So, so I went and I met a couple of the players on the team and they were way better athletes than I was. Had, if you think about it, I would have been a very different player if I had played my senior year of high school in those first couple of yeah, years. And that's what sure. these guys had been, had been doing. Um, but, but they were really cool about it. They, they realized I wasn't going to contribute much to the team, but they were very supportive of me joining it. And it was a club team, a very good club team, but it was not a division one uh, program. Yeah. So if it had been a division one, I, I would have been playing on the club. Team. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But I mean, at that, at that, at that level, you know, you definitely got to be in good shape. And I'm sure that the lacrosse team was that motivator for you to, you know, yeah. get back in shape. And once you did, I'm sure it was, you know, very gratifying and it was a great experience. Um, it was. And then I took a job out of undergrad working 80 or 90 hours a week oh, really? for an IT consultancy. And <laughs> I was able to maintain some semblance of, of a fitness program, mm -hmm. probably for the first four or five, six months. Um, but then when, as my responsibilities at work started growing and I started working more and more hours, it gets tough. It gets tough. And I started eating like crap and no, nobody really, this was 2001, 2002. Nobody really knew. We, I didn't certainly didn't know much about nutrition back yeah. then. And, uh, and, and so I started to gain weight. Um, I I'd always maintained, I never went more than a month without going to the gym, but I was definitely getting out of shape again. <laughs> so you're like a once a month type, type workout I, workout. I was sometimes I'd go in spurts where I'd have a week where yeah. I go two or three times. Yeah. And then but I mean, I, when you're working yeah. 90 hours a week though, yeah. it's, it's, you know, your priorities probably that going to the gym are probably pretty low on the priority. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you really don't have control over your schedule when you're yeah, working that yeah. much. It isn't just the number of hours, it's the nature of the hours. Yeah, And I'm sure in, you know, being in, in IT consulting, you were probably traveling a good bit too. Traveling a lot. I was traveling to Indianapolis. I was traveling to Charlottesville, Virginia. I was uh -huh. traveling to New York. Uh, yeah. So it, it, that it's, makes it even harder. <laughs> it started to get away from me. And, and I ended up in 2003 going to join a startup, which ended up being a really good thing for me on a lot of different levels because I uh -huh. learned a lot. But that also freed up some time. Not that I was working an easy job, but it was less hours. It was less demanding. And there was a group of people who were really into running. And so that was when I started. I had never been a strong runner before. I had never had any interest in running. And I, I just, the people around me were, were running and going to the track and it, I got bit by the running bug, which yeah. was the next wave of good fitness in my life was I just started training for 10 Ks for half marathons culminated in me running a marathon. And I'm not that big on running anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's a great modality, but it, I don't, it beats up the body. It beats up the body. And when you're running 40 hours a, 
or 40 miles a week like I was for the marathon yeah. training. And I was weighing 220 at the time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not my favorite medallion, but I'm very glad for the time that I spent there because it really got me back into a mindset of it was a goal. It was something to go after. Yeah. It was something that I enjoyed doing. And I did get back to fitness yeah, through, that's through doing amazing. that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of beating up the body, I heard a statistic. They say that when you run, whatever your body weight is times that by nine. And that's the force on your joints. Wow. I've, I've heard something and, similar yeah, to that so and that, I believe it. <laughs> so, you know, 200 times nine, that's, it's a good bit of a uh, force going on the joints, but yeah, I'm, so I'm uh, also running a lot <laughs> right now and my joints, they, they don't feel the greatest sometimes. So I know what you, I know what you mean. Um, so, okay. That's awesome. 2003. Tell me where you're at. Where are you living? What, what, what else is going on in your life besides you training for marathons? Sure. So 2003, I had been married for a year. I was working for a startup called Amentra. Amentra. Yeah. And uh, living in my hometown, essentially my hometown in Northern Virginia. Okay. I was traveling, but it wasn't the kind of travel that I was doing before that. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I had times when I was home for extended periods. Uh, yeah. So that, that that's where I was at that point. Um I hadn't yet moved to Charlotte. Yeah. So take me through that. So 2003, when did you move to Charlotte, North Carolina, which you're, you're you know, we're in right now sure. and how did that all develop? So, so what happened was I joined Amentra. It started growing pretty rapidly. Um, I, I don't think it ever grew the way level did, but it grew fast. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was employee number nine and I joined the company because I was really impressed with there were really three guys running it, Mike, Mike, and Matt. And they just really understood sales and branding and strategy mm -hmm. in a way that the firm I had worked for before didn't. They were struggling to deliver projects. And there was a group of us that had all worked together who heard about this company and said, let's go work there. If they teach us how to sell, you know, we can, we can implement the delivery capabilities that yeah. we had all um, been taught how to do in our prior life. And so a bunch <laughs> of us came over all at once. And several of them were the people I talked about who happened to be really into running, running and yeah. starting to think about okay. health and fitness. Um, and so at, uh, at this job, you were kind of in like a sales slash, you were actually being a consultant as well. So it started role. out as a consultant doing software development. Um, mm -hmm. but, but Mike and Mike and Matt really started to take me under their wings and okay. teach me how to, how to sell. Okay, and so awesome. I, I would never call what I did pure play business development. It was much more sales engineering and then project <laughs> management and, okay. and learning how to grow accounts and then learning how to, how to build best practices in an organization to allow it to, to, to expand the way that yeah. it was expanding. So were you also doing billable work on the side as well? I was, okay. it started off hundred percent billable and then I started to transition and by 2000, five. Yeah. 2005, I got a call from Matt who was the CEO and <laughs> uh -huh. he said, Hey, we just sold this project, the family dollar. And we had always been, everybody there was talking about, let's open new offices and other places besides DC and of Richmond. Course. Yeah. And, and he, and he said, you know, we sold this project. We, uh, our project manager has some uh, personal issues to tend to, so he can't travel. I need somebody who can travel mm -hmm. and who isn't going to quit if I make them travel. <laughs> and I said, I'm happy to travel, but I'm going to open an office there. You know, that, that was what I, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And I told anybody who would listen that were my friends, I'm going to move to Charlotte. I'm going to open this office. And that's, that's what we're going to do. And so I came down and I ran the family dollar project. Again, I was probably, probably billable 50 hours a week at that point. Okay. Um, fairly, fairly large amount of, hours. yeah, yeah. And there were, there were four of us on the project. So it was a decent sized project. And, um, and, and I was traveling for about 
nine months. And it, you know, it was really tough on Chrissy, my wife, because when I, f- when I first left undergrad, I was traveling a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Then I stopped traveling for a while and then I started <laughs> traveling again and now I was traveling full time. And so I said, well, look, we need to move down there. I really like the town and I want yeah, you so, to, so you were going to Charlotte and then back every Monday. I flew down every Monday. I flew back every Thursday, oh, geez, like clockwork. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, and which that lifestyle isn't that bad, but for when you're, when you're starting a family and, and, people get used to one pattern, it gets harder, but we could see that my career was going in a direction where maybe I won't be getting on a plane to to bill all the time. So, Mm -hmm. so we moved in 2005, rented an apartment. Um, at some point I start, I started getting out of the the 50 hour full-time billable grind Uh at family dollar (laughs) and started transitioning it to, to, to somebody I had hired at the time to replace myself. And then I started really focusing on sales and, and building an office. And so by so t- you, so you, when you moved um, down, like you said, obviously you were still doing some billable work, but mm-hmm. as you transitioned, were you responsible for running the Charlotte office? Yeah, for- I was. So, so I, I hired a, a sales guy who you've met, Dave Carr, yep. used to be the head of sales at Level. Yep. And, uh, and, and we just... We just, I told him, look, I, right now I have some billable commitments, but we're going to work to get out of that. And he focused a hundred percent on business development. I focused on building the office, hiring the team, scoping the projects, closing the deals. And, uh, and we worked really well together. And within, within a year, we probably had 30 people. And at that point I took over the whole commercial or at that point I took over the Richmond office as well. So oh, Richmond, really? Richmond was our headquarters. Now I started traveling to <laughs> Richmond a lot. Then you're back and forth again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but luckily throughout that time, you know, I was, I was late twenties, early thirties, and I had a pretty good fitness routine. I wouldn't say that I was in great shape, but I had a good enough fitness routine yep. and I was staying on top of it. I was smart enough to know how to maintain. Um, I was starting, I ran my first, mar- my only marathon in 2006. Okay. Um, and I started to, after running the marathon, I kind of had checked that box and I started focusing more on, on weightlifting, I would say, yeah. and, and doing less running. I probably never ran more than 10 miles in a week after that. Fair point. enough. Yeah. Um, but then, then I start traveling again. I start gaining weight again. <laughs> this time though, I kept, I kept working out. Um, I, but I realized at some point I've got to fix my diet. And so yeah. I went on the South beach diet. Uh, it worked really well. None of my clothes fit after, yeah. uh, you know, after a, a couple months of doing it started to feel really good about fitness again. But I'd say that anybody who's done South beach or Atkins will tell you like it, it ebbs and it flows. Like you, you, you go through phase one and it, and you just lose weight and then you go into phase two and you start, you, you stop losing weight and then you go into <laughs> phase three and you just, you backslide because you start reintroducing all the bad habits that you yeah. had. But it was, it was enough of a taste to where I learned that I could change my life through my diet. And I had yeah. never known that before. Yeah. Um, granted it was a one year change, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, think, oh, I got to go to the gym and work out and that's going to make me fit. But you know, nutrition is probably, you know, 70% of the equation. Yeah. Um, so what, so, all right. So you're doing South beach diet. This is what, like 2010, this would have, no, this would have been a little earlier than that. I would say this was 0708. 0708. All yeah. right. So let's transition a little further down the line. And I want to know how you got into CrossFit, which is how I yeah. ultimately met John. Um, for the first time I was a coach at CrossFit South end, which he was a member at. Um, but I want to hear how you, you know, how you got in that door, how you, how you heard about it and sure. what made you 
enjoy it. So before we get to specifically CrossFit South and my first exposure to CrossFit was a traditional old school, like original CrossFit gym. I yeah. don't even know if it like still exists. Dark and grungy. Dark and grungy <laughs> and in an unsafe part of town. <laughs> yep. and Sounds about right. N- no, I mean, just n- like equipment sucked. And But uh, a friend of mine or a guy that worked with me that I was friendly with, um, I was running the Richmond office, as uh-huh. I mentioned. And yep. so I was splitting time between that office and Charlotte. And I was getting into like P90X and insanity and, and seeing results. And, but another guy that I had worked with had transformed himself way more than I had Mm -hmm. doing CrossFit. I mean, he was, he was definitely a guy you would have looked at and said, you're heavy. And then all of a sudden you look at him and you're like, wow, you're jacked. (laughs) And he's like, why don't you come out to this workout with me? And we did CrossFit and it was, I just thought it was the craziest thing. We were doing some combination. It is kind of crazy. (laughs) Oh, and it was, it was a 21, 15, nine, rep scheme, which I had never heard of. Yeah. And I thought, why, how's this going to be hard? And then, <laughs> and it was three workouts. One was a, some sort of farmer's carry, which I had never done. Another was a snatch, which I had never done. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember, it might've been a kettlebell swing or okay. something. And, and I remember it just kicking the holy shit out of me. And I remember <laughs> at the time thinking this is the best workout I've ever done. And it was probably like <laughs> eight minutes. Yeah, it was, it was eight minutes. <laughs> and it was the best workout. And I was wiped out for days and I, everybody that would listen to me, I would tell them how awesome this CrossFit workout was, but I did nothing with it. And again, this was 06, 07 type Thanks, of so time. So this is like yeah. when CrossFit was just starting. Yeah. They probably were publishing that workout and everybody was doing it yeah. that day. I think yeah. that they, it That's used to amazing. work that way, but for whatever reason, I never followed up with it. Um, I stuck with P90X and Insanity and I'd go to the Globo gym every now and again. Yeah. I mean, Insanity and that yeah. kind of similar to CrossFit. It's but similar. Obviously yeah. a little different. Yeah. Yeah. A little more body weight focused, but, uh, but uh-huh. certainly familiar to anybody who does any kind of CrossFit yeah. style boot camp where, you know, there's mm-hmm. too many people for you to do pull-ups or, yeah. or, or barbells. All right. So you did mm-hmm. CrossFit 2115 nine yeah. and this, it was in Richmond, right? Yeah. All right. So 06, 07, you hit it then. And then yeah, and then, it kind and of then fell I, off. So how'd you, how'd you find CrossFit South end yeah, after yeah. So, all those years? So, so 08, 09, I, w- I went to Duke for grad school yep. and, and I was good about fitness there cause I had some friends who were, were good, but it was all weightlifting and running on the golf course. You okay. Know? Um, and then in 10, I, I helped a couple friends start a company and my fitness just took a backseat cause it was a startup and <laughs> it just took a real backseat. Um, and then at some point, I want to say in 2012, my metabolism really shifted. So I was 36 and I just got heavy. I got up to 255 pounds. I could okay. barely walk up the stairs without, you know, breathing heavy. Yeah. And, um, and I said, you know what, I've got to fix something. So I started out doing the South beach diet. And one of my friends says to me, John, if you're going to do South beach, you really ought to look at paleo. So I started reading and I just immediately, it spoke to me. I got really religious about paleo. I've been very strict paleo since then. Again, this was six, seven years ago. Really? So you've been sticking with it for seven yep. years? Yeah. And, I, and I, I learned about intermittent fasting. I learned about the ketogenic diet. I learned about uh, what I would say is a more proper approach to macros than what I had probably learned yeah. growing up. Mm-hmm. And I learned about eating whole foods. And, and I would say that I, it wouldn't have mattered if I hadn't done that, what modality of workout I did. I, I was too heavy. I, just to put it in perspective, I started 
paleo at 255 pounds. Mm -hmm. And before I walked, when I walked into CrossFit South End for the first time, I weighed 202 pounds. So that's how much weight I had lost in maybe four to six month period. And that was just from pure diet? Pure diet. I started to work out. I started going back to the gym. I started running more. I started doing Insanity and P90X again, and, and they were all helpful. Yeah. But um, my friends Thomas McClure and Matt Angelini yeah. were were raving about yeah. this this CrossFit South End gym, and they were like, "You gotta go. You gotta go." And I went, and it kicked my ass as badly as the first workout did. <laughs> probably worse. You might've <laughs> forgotten about it though. Cause it'd been like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It had been a long time. And, um, and, but, but I really liked Stu, um, uh -huh. the, the, the owner of the gym, but a funny thing happened by now I had started level and I went on a billable project in Modesto, California, not uh -huh. Modesto. Uh, it was, it was near Modesto. I think it was Modesto actually, wherever Gallo and wine, Gallo wine company company is. Uh -huh. And so even though I had gone to Stu's gym, um, I couldn't go to his gym while I was traveling, I was literally there for two months. So I joined a CrossFit gym there. Really? And for the first two months, I maybe saw Stu one or two more times. And I told him, I'm going to join your gym, but for now I'm just going to pay the, the drop-in fee. Yeah. Um, and he probably didn't believe me. And, and the coaches at this gym where I was going, they were nice enough, but I wasn't their students. So they didn't invest anything into me the way mm -hmm. that you did or Isaac or any of the other coaches at South End. Uh -huh. But it was, I, I could see that it was fun. I could see why I enjoyed the gym. And then when I got back, I never looked back. I signed up with Stu and I said, hey, my company is gonna pay for this. And anybody else that wants to join the CrossFit gym will pay for that as well. Yeah. And so we worked out a plan and never yeah. looked back since then. I, you know, it's, I, I'm on a routine now where I may take a week off every now and again, or if I get injured, which is very rare, but, but I've never slipped back. And I think it's just because I've now decided I'm, I'm committed to this style of nutrition. I'm committed to this exercise regimen. And I start from there and those are non-negotiable. Everything else in the day is negotiable. Yeah, that's amazing. So there it is. Like, that's your whole journey, right? And it's been ebbs and flows. But, you know, at the end of the day, John has obviously shown that fitness has been in his life at one point or another. And it might have, you know, strayed away yep. a little bit, but it's always come back. Um, but, yeah, that's that's an amazing story. Um, but, but I tell people, you know, you need to you need to figure out what your baseline, like what your, everybody's going to have a baseline. And so your baseline can be that you're a fat piece of shit who shoves whatever <laughs> they want in their mouth and they don't care about their fitness. Uh -huh. And you're going to always be fighting an uphill battle when you, your mindset's always going to be, this is the way I am, but can I briefly try and change it? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, regardless of the fact that I would slide backwards, I always viewed myself as a fit person, yeah. even though I knew that there are times when I was very far from fit, this is, that was the exception, not the norm. And I think people need to frame things that way in their yeah. life. That's a good way to think of it. I, yeah. That's amazing. Um, all right. So now that you obviously have fitness in your life and it's a big part of your life, what would you say is your favorite part of your fitness journey other than like, you know, the looking good and mm -hmm. like feeling, you know, what, what do you like, what benefit does fitness bring to your life other than, you know, a physique? I, I think more than anything, it's the stress management. It's, mm -hmm. it's just an outlet that's, that's very healthy. And other than the occasional getting overzealous and hurting yourself, it's, it's more good for you than it is, yeah. than it is bad. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> you live a pretty stressful life. Um, so I could see that. And, um, yeah, so I want to take it back kind of <laughs> back in a couple of years. Um, for those of you that are listening and don't know, John was, uh, the co-founder of the company that I work for now called level. Um, 
which is an IT consulting firm. And like John had uh, talked to us about, he had worked for an IT consulting firm um, previous. But what uh, I, I've never heard the story, so I want to know how how did uh, level become <laughs> level? How did it ever take roots? Sure. So so you, it starts with um, the company Amentra that I mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, learned a lot there. Worked with a lot of great people. And in 2008, we decided to sell Amentra to Red Hat. And then I spent two years at Red Hat. Okay. And during that time, I met Chris Hart, my co-founder at Level. And I knew Matt Ernst, who was another co-founder at Level. Um, Chris and I had met when Red Hat was selling a deal to Bank of America. He was running a large tech team and they he wanted to bring in Red Hat. And so at some point, the discussion got serious enough to where they brought me and I was leading Red Hat's middleware um, consulting team at okay. the time. So we met and, um, I, I think we got the deal, but we didn't get all of it or so I don't, you know, I don't even know <laughs> what, what happened there, but we ended up reconnecting in 2012 when I had an idea for an app that I wanted to build. And it was and it really focused on credit cards and mobile payments. And okay. I didn't know anything about credit cards or mobile payments. Um, so I started reaching out to people that I knew and they said, Oh, if, if you want to if you want to build that app, you need to talk to Chris Hart. So that's how we met. And then we figured out, oh shit, we met, you know, a couple years ago, yeah. Red Hat and, and B of A were working together. Yeah. Cause he was, uh, Chris Hart was at Bank of America. At the that's time. correct. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. And, um, and in 2012, he was looking for something entrepreneurial to do. Um, I had helped start a smart grid company that I mentioned earlier, and I was transitioning out of my day-to-day role there after we had raised a bunch of money. And, um, so I was looking for what I wanted to do next. So was he. So we started a side project. We called it reward summit and we learned a lot about building mobile apps. We learned about user experience. We learned about uh, DevOps and cloud automation. And, and Chris and I got to talking during that time. Cause we built a great product that ended up getting featured by the app store. We never figured out <laughs> how to make money with it, but it was a great product. <laughs> well, you were featured. <laughs> yeah, we were featured and we got a bunch of downloads and we just couldn't figure out how to make money. But along the way, I was like, Chris, why don't the banks build things this way? Like, why, yeah. why aren't they doing this? Why, why don't big companies do it? And he's like, he told some stories about whenever we bring in vendors who know anything about this stuff, they, they don't understand banks. They really need to understand banks. And okay. a banker isn't going to buy something from someone who doesn't understand banks. And then we got to a point where we knew we needed to pivot our product and Bank of America saw the feature on the app store and all these articles being written. And they told him, you can't work here anymore. It's a conflict of interest. Oh, really? And I had been helping a friend of mine who wanted to, wanted to build, build something. And he saw what had happened. And he said, look, if you're not committed to this, like you, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like I'm only doing this if you're committed, mm-hmm. but he said, you can have the business that you've built for me. So I said to Chris, look, do you want to why don't we just start a consulting company and start with this work that I've already sold for this other company. And so that became Lata partners, which literally we, we, we called, um, VMware roughly uh, the V fabric team at VMware and said, Hey, Chris and I are looking for some work. Uh, We don't want to come work for you full time, but, but we'll go do this work as consultants for you basically. And they said, that's great. What's the name of your company? Uh, we need, we need it today so that we can have you in Atlanta on Monday. <laughs> so that was the humble beginnings of level. Again, we, we had to call it something. So we called it Lata partners. Uh-huh. And for six months, it was just Chris and I going and doing work a week or two at a time. And okay. then each month, and then we would use that money to pay for the development of the product that we had developed. Yeah. So what, tell me about this product. What, mm-hmm. what, what did it do? 
it was a yeah. it was a credit card um it was a credit card intelligence platform okay so it did a bunch of different things um on the one hand it could look at whatever store you're in whether you're on the web on an e-commerce site or in the store swiping at a at a uh, point of sale mm-hmm. it would know where you were and it would know what credit card programs you had in your wallet and it would tell you the best one to pick so oh, really? in real time hey you're you just swipe the card for a $500 purchase at Best Buy. You need to use your, this card because it gives you free electronics warranty, right? And that's worth more than the 250 2%, 2%. miles that you're going to get. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. That's amazing. And, and, and then it, but then it also would look at, it would analyze all your transaction history and say, let me build you a better wallet. And it would yeah. stack rank. What we really wanted to do was sell data to the banks, anonymous, <laughs> anonymized data that would say, Hey, Hey, cap one, this is why people are using your cards and this is why they're using somebody else's yeah. so that they could start cre- crafting better products. Mm, um, but, but for a variety of reasons, we, we got, we got a good product market fit to the consumers, but we never had a good fit for the banks. And we, I don't think we appreciated how difficult it was going to be to convince the banks to sell credit cards on mobile as opposed to web. They've barely wrapped their head around selling credit cards on the web. They really, everything that they had geared their affiliate programs towards was a real crappy web-based system that wasn't highly targeted. And what we had was a mobile platform that was highly targeted, highly individual. The ads were a fundamental feature of the application. So people aren't going to ignore the ads. That's what they're downloading the app and using it for is to get the ads to find better credit cards to buy. But we didn't appreciate how hard it would be to convince the banks and their affiliate networks that this was a better way to go. Yeah. It seems crazy to me that banks wouldn't want that information, yeah. you know, to- S- some of them do some of them that have worse credit card <laughs> programs would rather customers don't have that visibility. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like the information to see, Oh, this is why they're using this yeah. credit card versus this one. Like it yeah. seems very valuable yeah. to any bank. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, awesome. And so as you started level and it started to grow was the, app kind of put to the back seat or it was initially we had some discussions with Intuit and they were, they were pretty keen to integrate it into mint.com. They even mentioned we may want to buy this, but those discussions got sidetracked by a big acquisition that they did. Mm -hmm. I think it was called checks.com at the time. And so Chris and I, when we got the call and they said, yeah, we thought that we might be interested in this, but it's probably going to need to be six months from now. We said, well, let's just focus on this consulting and yeah. see, see where it goes. So and then the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> then, then it, so, so then we start slowly building it, not slowly, but we, we hired our first employee in April of 2014. And by November of 2014, we had 12 employees mm-hmm. and, and Chris and I, we still were holding on to this dream of Reward Summit. And and I said, Chris, we've got 12 employees. Like, what are we doing? Neither of us really knew. So we went and reached out to Matt Ernst, who was the founder and CEO at Amentra, and who I've, I had kept in touch with at that point. Mm-hmm. And Matt said, let me take a look. Let me see what, what your team is like. Let me, let me look at some of your numbers and and I'll give you, give you my thoughts. And he said, look, I think you're on to something. I think you need to rebrand it. I think you need to really get serious. I think you need to shut down your credit card platform and I think you need to pin your ears back. And I think you need to build a brand that you can take globally. Yeah. So that was really where things took off. He put half a million dollars into the company. Um, and then he helped us rebrand the company and that, that was when things took off. We went from a million in revenue in year one to 4 million in year two, and then to you know, 10 million in year three, it, it just yeah, really, just been, really took off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And, um, yeah, so as John was growing level, um, it came to 
what year? So it started in 2014. It's, it started in 2013, but it was at the end of 2013. 14 was really the first full yeah. year of existence. And then, so four years later, I was uh, lucky enough to actually be hired to um, work at Level, and I've worked there since, and it's been, you know, I, I tell everyone it's the best place I've ever worked. And so, well, thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm very, <laughs> very grateful for that opportunity. Um, and one thing that I was thinking about today, mm-hmm. um, that John actually al- also touched on is that the company level offers a free gym membership to either urban movement, which is owned by St- Stu Brower, who we had on episode two or stacks, mm-hmm. um, which is the CrossFit gym that John goes to now. And I was thinking how amazing it is that, this company, you know, offers these free memberships to anyone at the company where, you know, if you didn't have that membership, you'd be paying uh, almost $200 a month. Um, and I just wanted to pick your brain on why you think it's so important that you offer that to, to your, to the employees, um, or why you ever started that in the first place. Yeah. So my theory was number one, I think healthier employees are better employees. I think Mm -hmm. you're sick less often. I think you're happier. I think you're able to manage stress better. I also think that if it's a team, I won't call it sport, but if it's a team modality, there's some team building opportunities, group fitness. Yeah. So I don't care what group fitness you go after, but I wanted it to be group fitness. I don't think going and doing concentration curls and staring (laughs) in the mirror fosters the exact same level of fitness or result. Team team building. it's, It's the team building aspect. And what I really liked about CrossFit is anybody on any given day can kick anybody's ass. And so it's really cool when an entry level employee can go in there and just demolish the CEO and something. (laughs) Um, and, and so I like that as well, but I also think with CrossFit in particular, my experience more than any other modality that I've, I've tried is the first couple of years that I did CrossFit, I felt like every single workout, there was a point where I didn't know if I could finish and the euphoria that you feel when you realize like, yes, I can finish that's a good feeling that applies more broadly than just fitness. And so that was why for me, CrossFit was a, was, was a good mix. But if, if somebody said, no, we want to do nine round or we want to do, um, you know, you, I mean, you, you name the workout. I'm not necessarily wedded to CrossFit. I just, it happened yeah. to be what I knew. And I was like, this is a pretty good fit. Yeah. Um, it, honestly, even without the, the group fitness aspect, I th- still think it's worthwhile. And a lot of companies do health and wellness programs for yeah. the other reasons that I discussed though. Yeah, I, I agree. And like you were saying, um, you know, you're in the middle of the cross workout and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to finish. <laughs> and when you do, it's like everything else that you, that you have to do on that day is like yeah. easy, right? Yeah. Cause you already have done the hardest thing you're going to do that day. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that I've seen in CrossFit and um, that I really admire because it makes everything else like a breeze. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. not only that, it's a cult that brainwashes us. So I had to do it. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. <laughs> I'm, I kid. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, um, yeah. So as John was, you know, working at level, he ultimately, um, it is no longer working at level mm-hmm. and he just actually got, um, named CEO of a new company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear about that. I, <laughs> I, I, this is my first time that I've actually heard about it. I saw it on LinkedIn today and I was like, dang, John is new CEO. So talk, talk to me about that. Well, yeah. So, so if, if I take a step back before I talk about lobby, which lobby is, is the, the current opportunity that uh-huh. I'm the CEO of that you're talking about. But if you take a step back, what I really want to do, um, is uh, I've created a new brand called Defiance and a new company called Defiance. And uh-huh. I do 
Um, it's, it's based on the story called The Defiant Ones, which is a four-part miniseries in HBO, which is all about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine and how the two of them came to collaborate. And I've been looking for a new show. So yeah, so you, you need to watch it. It's four episodes. It's fantastic. And I'm it, it really shows the way that I want to operate. Jimmy Iovine has this amazing eye for talent and is able to get the most out of people that he's that, that he works with. And this is U2. This is Bruce Springsteen. This is uh, Lady Gaga. This is Nine Inch Nails. It includes Dr. Dre, who ended up being probably the most meaningful of his, of his relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, that led to Eminem and 50 Cent and um, just all sorts of, just a virtual who's who of, of the music world. And ultimately it led to their collaboration on Beats by Dre, which culminated in a $3 billion exit to Apple. And then Jimmy ran Apple music for a few years and his style and the way he goes about things and his work ethic and how he goes and creates opportunities for others, which create opportunities for him and for ultimately Dr. Dre, it really resonated with me. So I've created a a company called Defiance. My podcast is called the Defiance Ventures podcast. I interview founders and people that I find really interesting who embody that kind of ability to, to defy conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also done some investing in tech startups, um, and which is a part of my strategy long-term for Defiance Ventures is to build ventures, whether that be through investing and kind of passively working with teams. Yeah. I do formal advisory engagements. So through Defiance, I've got two or three companies that I, I build them and I do advisory work. Um, but also I want to actually do, uh, enter into joint ventures where myself or other people who over time end up becoming part of the core defiance team go in and, and, and really, um, help to build these companies, not just put money in, um, not just do advisory work, but put skin in the game and actually run some or all parts of the company. And so lobby is the first of those ventures. And so lobby is a commercial real estate, uh, platform that was started by one of the most successful business people I've ever met named Rob Finlay. Um, he's got a holding company called 30 capital. Uh, he's involved with IMS, which is a great local success story. Um, he, he launched commercial defeasance, which is one of the most successful financial and tech companies, probably in, 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 in the East coast, uh, you know, one of the top ones. I mean, it's yeah. a really fantastic company. Um, and then a handful of others that he started throughout the years. And Lobby is one that he kind of has incubated through his holding company. And okay. he, he reached out to me. I told him what I was doing with Defiance. And he said, look, I need a CEO for this Lobby product that I've developed. Um, I've got a good team, but I need a CEO who can really run it. And that really fits consistent with what I want to do with Defiance. Yeah. So it's not branded Defiance. Um, Defiance is not a majority holder. Um, Rob funded the company. He started it. I'm not a founder of the company. I am the CEO yeah. who's helping to um, implement the vision for where he wants to take the product. But it fundamentally, it's a data management platform really geared towards the needs of commercial real estate owners. Uh, we, we help out the owners themselves with evaluating what to do with their properties, often from an investment or financing perspective. Yeah. We help their asset managers to get better visibility into how to improve the performance of the properties. And then we ultimately help the acquisition teams to figure out what are better properties that we should be buying or what things do we need to be thinking about buying so that we can optimize the, the value of our, of our property fund. Yeah. Man, this, this is what I love about you. You always got your, your hands in something and always testing out new waters. Man, that's awesome. Uh, all right. So kind of going on that bombshell, what would you give advice wise to anyone looking to start a business? And, you know, 
obviously you're yeah. just telling me you're, you're, you're giving advice to people. If this, if this <laughs> is going to cost me, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> My, the advice will be free this time, but no, I'm amazing. <laughs> no. So th- the first advice I give to anybody that's starting a company is just, uh, get ready. Cause it's a lot harder than anything you've probably ever done. Okay. Um, you need to be, you need to leave your ego at home because you're probably wrong about a lot of the assumptions that you're making. Uh, you need to be committed in a way that very few people are committed to things. Um, and, and, and you've just got to be ready to, to do whatever needs to happen in order to be responsive to, to the market. I tell a lot of people we romanticize startups. Um, it's, it's especially in the last 10 or 15 years, I've seen a lot more interest in startups than certainly at any other time. I I get why people romanticize it. It's the place that I want to be. But for most people that think they want to join a startup, they probably don't want to start a company and they probably don't want to join a real startup. What they probably want is a series B funded company, um, or series C, a well-funded company that isn't completely fully baked yet. Um, that's what most people are looking for is how do I get in on something early that I can have a meaningful impact on the outcome, but they don't want the risk. They don't want the uncertainty. They don't want the extreme highs and the extreme lows that come with a traditional startup. But for people who do want to do a startup, I give them the (laughs) advice that I gave you just a minute ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny too, with with my, uh, you know, the millennials, I think a lot of them are like, Oh, I want to have a startup. And I think a lot of them, really just want to be able to wear jeans and, and a t-shirt to work. I, I don't think they truly want yeah. a, a, to have a startup and they probably don't truly know what you were just explaining, you know, yeah. what all it goes into it. Well, and, and going back to fitness, I think CT Fletcher has a quote that most people want to do beast mode things, but most people don't want to put in the work, yeah. <laughs> the beast True. mode work. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's the same thing. Everybody sees CT Fletcher fe- flexing his biceps or bench pressing 500 pounds when he was younger, but doesn't realize what it took, yeah, what it to, took. to get there. And, and again, I think that that can be very rewarding for people to put in that kind of work, but it's, I think people should have a real serious gut check. And I would recommend before starting your own company, I'm going to be interviewing a guy on my podcast tomorrow who founded a company called Two You Laundry. Mm-hmm. One of the best run, um, startups I've, I've ever run into he just gets it. I mean, he had some experience prior to this that got him ready for this, but he would have been ready on day one. He's just yeah. got the total package. Um, most people don't. And most yeah, people, I, I would recommend go join a fairly successful startup and don't worry about what you're getting paid. Just view it as an education. Yeah. Um, but there's risk in that because not, you know, m- most startups fail. The more funding a company has gotten traditionally or typically the more likely it is to be successful. And I would just treat that as, as an, as, as an education. And for me, that's what a mentor was. I, yeah. I took, I, I turned down offers that were 50% higher. Um, I turned down an offer to participate in the company I was working for was doing a managed by mm-hmm. manager's buyback. And I had the opportunity to um, participate in that and gain real ownership in it. I didn't feel like it was going to be the learning experience that I yeah. wanted. I didn't feel like these other jobs uh, where I would have been a mercenary and making a lot more money were worth it. I really focused on the education. And so that's, if you're not, a hundred percent convinced that you're, you've got an idea that you're willing to drop everything and execute on and that you've got the ability to do everything. Um, I would say that try and find something where you can learn a lot. Yeah. I, that's interesting. You say that because I remember, um, when you were in the Charlotte agenda, mm-hmm. um, when they came and asked you all those questions, one of the things you said was just that, you know, you said, don't, don't give up, you know, a 10% increase in salary yeah. for uh, unvaluable experience. And yeah. that, I think that's always kind of stuck with me. 
Um, I don't know if it was you saying that because my parents always preach that to me too, but you know, experience, experience is invaluable. And especially when you're like my age, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're not, you don't need to pay for a family. You don't yeah. have all these crazy expenses. So what are you worried about making extra 10 K a year? Yeah. You know, well, experience trumps everything. Well, it was told to me, I had a real influential mentor when I was right out of undergrad and before I went to work for a mentra. And, um, I remember him telling me, cause he made, I don't know, 10, $20 million when he was 27, 28 years old. He, not too bad. He was in the right place at the <laughs> right time and was a really, is a really smart guy and a really hard worker and really put a lot of things together. And he told me about all these guys around him who would leave to get a $5,000 raise or to get a bump in title. And he's like, I just made more in one payday than you're going to make in three lifetimes. Like, yeah. how do you feel now about that $5,000 raise? Yeah. And that's an extreme example and not something that you can see a priori, but it, it hits the point home. Play the long game. Most of the time, investing in your skill set and investing in your network is going to pay off more than a small raise yeah. will. Now, there's some cases where you, you get a, a raise that's three X what you were making and you happen to be about to get married and it, and it's just the right decision, even if you don't like what you're going to go do. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that those are not as, not as prevalent as people think they are. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So I want to hear about your, your new fasting rituals that you have going <laughs> on. So if <laughs> for, for, uh, for sake of, you know, cutting the short, the yeah. story short here, John, uh, I've seen on his Instagram, he's been posting, he'll, he'll go on like a, I don't know, 52, 60 hour fast and he'll post a big slab of meat and be like breaking my fast. I, <laughs> I, I just had a, you know, I had need for four days or something. So talk, talk to me, where did this start? Uh -huh. Um, what's the idea behind it and why do you do it? Well, so it started with intermittent fasting, which is uh -huh. the more common form of fasting, which is really simple. With intermittent fasting, you're just trying to eat within a small window. Typically, you'll start with an eight-hour window. So I started, you would start eating at noon and you stop eating at 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. and then you fast for 16 hours. And when you're doing that, do you eat... Um do you eat less in those, in those eight hours or do you eat the same amount you would in regular? You day? eat whatever you feel like eating in that okay. point. And so there's no restrictions. There's on no real restriction. Intake. I mean, you, the, you can have results without any caloric restriction if, okay. if you wanted to. What ends up happening for most people, it's just harder to eat 2000 calories or 3000 calories if in you're doing it in that smaller window. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But, but I've known people who have gotten great results, not changing anything other than the window that they eat with. Really? And it happens because of ketosis. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people understand the ketogenic diet. Um, it's a pretty hard diet to follow. You've got to yeah. hit about 75% of your calories coming from fat. And the idea is that you start burning ketones instead of glucose and glycogen as your primary source. Mm -hmm. if, that's all, if, if you can get into a ketogenic state, your brain's going to operate better. You're not going to get hangry. Your blood sugar is going to be smooth. And you're generally going to feel a lot better. And you're going to lose weight because you're, you're, you're burning fat as a fuel source. Yeah. yeah. Very hard to get into unless you really like coconut oil and avocado. <laughs> um, you can mimic the same thing by by just doing a simple 16-hour fast every day. Okay. You know, I recommend five days a week, but some people do it more, some do it less and get good results. And so is that what you're currently doing five days a week? Or? I do five days a week. I've I've gone beyond 16 hours and I've, I usually fast between 20 and 22 hours by default during really? the week, which is a little harder to do. You're not just skipping breakfast, you're skipping breakfast and lunch. And so you're the asshole in the office who never wants to go to lunch with anybody. <laughs> yeah, but you get more done that way. <laughs> you do. And, and you spend less time on meal prep. You spend less time eating. Um, you now are moving beyond 
a ketogenic ketogenic effects and now you're moving into what's called autophagy or cellular repair. Okay. So what ends up happening is your body after about 18 to 20 hours, it, it burns ketones, but it also starts to remove damaged cells and repair your DNA. And really? yeah, and so that's, that's really what people are going for with those slightly longer fast. Now, when you get into a two day, a three day, my longest is a four day or 96 hour fast. I'm attempting a five day fast next month. Um, here you get a lot of ketosis, you get a lot of caloric restriction, you get a lot of autophagy, you get, get a lot of immune system repair as a, as a result of mm -hmm. the autophagy. Um, I don't know that I'm going to go much longer than five days, but, but a big part of what you get is you just, you learn a lot more about yourself and what hunger really, really means on a four day fast. You, you learn that what you thought was hunger was just Greeland being sent from your, you know, from your, from your liver to your brain yeah. to say, Hey, I'm hungry, but you're not actually hungry. Yeah. Cause can't the, can't the human body go like, like 40 days without eating? Oh, I can go even longer. I think there's a documented, um, medical assisted fast that was 400 days. It was over a year long. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. I wouldn't recommend doing that. And I especially wouldn't recommend going over six or seven days without, w without a doctor yeah, helping yeah, you. Cause yeah, there's yeah. minerals that you need. There's electrolytes. There's, there's all sorts of things that your body does need, but f four or five days, six days, I think is pretty safe. You're not, you're not going to risk damaging yourself. So, so, okay. So intermittent fasting, right. Is you see it as kind of just a way to be healthy and get into that, you know, mild ketosis. But mm -hmm. when you're on these four day fasts, that, that the main goal or like motivation behind that is to flush out all those bad cells and, yeah. and all that. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. And it so does a lot of what they call telomere lengthening from what I've read, which there's <laughs> certain ways to lengthen your telomeres, but that's a long, it becomes a longevity play. And I think okay. that's why almost every major religion throughout history has had fasting as a mm -hmm. kind of component, central component, whether yep. it be Muslims fasting during Ramadan, you know, there's all sorts of religions where yep. they have a tradition of fasting. Yeah. So what, what's it like on like day three, you wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and you haven't eaten since, you know, three days ago. What's you're not it? hungry. That's really? the, that's the weirdest part is you're not, you're never hungry. You're, you might feel hunger two times on a four day fast. Um, <laughs> Man, I get hungry after not eating for like four hours. Yeah. It's, it's very counterintuitive. Um, the biggest thing is I've got a family and a big part of the family time is like, let's sit down and have food. And it's yeah. when you get to talk and that that's probably the hardest part. There's the social aspects. There's, you know, there's, there's networking that you can't do cause you, you're not drinking when you're drinking alcohol, when you fast, you're drinking water and maybe coffee, depending on your yeah. protocol. Um, that's so, the hardest part yeah. is just the social aspects for sure. Yeah. So when you're, when you're in, you know, hitting like day three or four, is your energy just out the window or is it gone? Your energy is awesome. My four day fast, I did three, three CrossFit workouts. I did one 20 minute session on the assault bike and I did four, no, three sauna sessions during it as well. And I, my, I felt fine on every single one of them. Really? Yeah. Your energy levels are very smooth. I, I, I'm call it 14, 15% body fat at 205 pounds. I've got plenty of fat. There's no shortage of calories in my fat supplies over a four day period. And they're readily available. Once your body gets into ketosis, it's actually easier to burn ketones than it is to convert glycogen into yeah, glucose. So at yeah. that point, right, your body's just, you know, it's fueling itself based yep. on, or off of your fat. Your yeah. own fat. Okay. Yeah. They call it, you're a fat burning furnace at that point. <laughs> and it's why the, the pounds just melt off. I think I lost in a 
two day time frame, I might've lost six pounds during, during my fast, but I didn't, I didn't look gaunt. I didn't feel bad. It just, it just comes off very quickly. Yeah. Once you start burning that as your, as your only fuel source, man, I, I might have to give it a try. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if Ironman training and fasting for four days for endurance athletes, yeah. I would not recommend it. <laughs> I don't know if this go hand in hand. <laughs> there are studies that say that it, that it works, but I think it's much harder for an endurance athlete than it is for a more high intensity interval training athlete. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So if you're not fasting and all that, what, what is a, you know, normal day of in John Espy's life look like nowadays? As so far so as on the weekends, I try to eat a good balanced uh, meal because I am doing fasting during the week and I'm generally very low carb during the week. Um, I'll eat potatoes. I'll eat sweet potatoes. Uh, I'll eat breakfast every Saturday and Sunday with my two sons. That's kind of our thing is to go, go have eggs and bacon together. Um, nice. <laughs> I'll eat a big dinner, um, you know, lunch. I'll, I'll try to get a good mix of, of, um, green leafy vegetables. I might eat some cassava or, or yucca. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to POPO or Coltrane's yeah. or one of, one of those type of restaurants, but it's, I try to just keep it balanced. I yeah. try to, I've got a stable of supplements that I try to use mm -hmm. and I'm always experimenting with different supplements, but I, I've got a, a core group during the winter. I take D3 during uh, year round. I try to take fish oil and then uh, there's a couple of longevity molecules, NMN, NR and resveratrol that I've been experimenting with and think I'm pretty happy with. I don't even know what, what you just <laughs> said. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. And so you are still, you're still, um, in the paleo mm -hmm. type of, you know, absolutely nutrition. Okay. Awesome. I and will say it was my birthday on Saturday and, uh, calories uh, don't count on your birthday. Uh, they don't count on your birthday. And, and, um, one of the ladies in the office learned it was my birthday and today she baked this delicious cake that had butterfingers and chocolate oh, and it boy. was not paleo. I had not had a <laughs> slice of cake and since I started paleo, but I felt like I kind of have to eat it. So I did, it. You earned it. You <laughs> but I could it. feel it. I could just feel as I was eating it. Maybe it was placebo effect, but I could feel like that, that wiry jittery feeling. <laughs> it's like, well, why did I just eat this? So after but it was delicious. <laughs> I actually, I forgot to ask you this. So after you're done, um, you know, you haven't eaten for four days. You're on the four day fast. What are you just like, man, I can't wait to eat. Or is it like, I don't even like, you have to force yourself to eat. And this is the hardest part. They call that the refeeding period. And uh -huh. it's not hard on a 16 or an 18 or even a 20 hour fast, but you get over 36 hours. Refeeding can send you to the bathroom real quickly. If you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Cause I remember <laughs> like the people from the concentration camps, mm -hmm. yep. if they fed them too much food, they would die. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, obviously you're not that It's extreme, not quite that but extreme, but it, but it certainly can, it is a trip, a quick trip to the toilet. If you're not careful, okay. my, my protocol that I follow is I, I love, um, kettle and fire. It's a, it's a bone broth. Um, okay. It, 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 it's amazing. And I get it ordered to the house and, I, and I'll drink a cup of that, which is really good for your, your digestion. Mm -hmm. um, I take a supplement stack from on it called total gut health. It combines pre prebiotics, probiotics, um, a specific yeast that is really useful in your digestive process. And it also has digestive enzymes. And, and then I start with a small salad with some good fats in it. So a little bit of olive oil, maybe some macadamia nut oil. And I, and that kind of primes the pump. And then after about 15 or 20 minutes, then I'll dig into the big steak and the Malbec that you mentioned oh, yeah. seeing on Instagram. Yeah. That looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that. Or the big brisket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you're ready to eat. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, that's the hardest part and you have to make yourself eat. Yeah. You are not hungry at that point. Um, that, yeah. that's just wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> Four days of not eating, you're not hungry. Um, well, I'll, I guess I'll I gotta say, try it. I'll say this. I, 
when I stopped the four day fast, I, I planned my day around, okay, this is when I'm going to eat. And then my son's soccer game took longer to finish and it pushed me off by an hour and a half. And that I felt uncomfortable, but it was, it was more of a mental thing. Like yeah. oh, you, I made this beautiful the, brisket and I can't eat it yet. Yeah. You, you know? saw the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And you just yeah couldn't, exactly. Couldn't get right there. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to try that. You yeah. know, after, after I'm done training for the Ironman, I'm going to have to give, yeah. what would you recommend? What would you say for someone starting wanting to, to do a fast, what would you say is a good, a good know, number of hours to try to, achieve? I would start with 16, um, for, Cause for I've males. done intermittent fasting. I, yeah. so I used to weigh 230 pounds. Oh, wow. Wow. And my way that I lost all the weight was I, well, I called it skipping breakfast. Now yeah. they call it intermittent fasting. Yeah. Same um, thing. Yeah. I would just not eat breakfast and then I would eat from 12 to six and then do yeah. that. So, um, yeah. So, so for males, I would recommend a similar protocol. Um, for females, some females struggle, um, for, di for different hormonal reasons. And from what I've read, I think Dr. Sachin Panda, who's one of the experts on fasting recommends females maybe start with a 13 hour fast, mm -hmm. which that's really with 13 hours, it isn't skipping breakfast, but you do, it's, you do have to be careful about nighttime snacking. He recommends stop eating when the sun goes down and start eating when it comes back up, which Fair in enough. many parts of the world is 13 hours. Yeah. But I think start there and then push it and see, see how your body reacts. You'll, I will say that I don't think, I know keto isn't for everybody. I don't think paleo is for everybody. Um, I'm pretty certain that some form of fasting will be helpful for, for anybody who tries it. It's just, yeah. it, you just experiment with it, start small and then, and then kind of grow yeah. it until you. And I, I think going off that too, when you're saying it's, it's good for everybody. I think it, I would imagine it teaches you a lot about, um, like self-control, right? Mm -hmm. Cause obviously it, you're, you're going to get hungry. And mm -hmm. even though John says you're not hungry, I don't believe it. No, you are when you first start, <laughs> like you, you think you're hungry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you could learn a lot about yourself of like, all right, I'm not actually hungry. I'm yeah. fine. Um, so I think that would be a good, just like self-awareness journey, which I I'm excited yeah. to do. So I, I will say this, if you're going to do fasting, it's much easier if you're low carb, if you're relatively yeah. fat adapted for which people I, who I eat a lot of, right now. Yeah. If you, if you eat a plate full of French fries or potatoes at 8 PM, it's going to be a lot harder in the morning because yeah. your body's going to crave more carb replacement. Exactly. If you can do higher protein, higher fat, not necessarily ketogenic, but lower carb, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot easier to, to get through those hunger yeah. episodes. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, I have one final question, which I've kind of been really eager to ask you. So <laughs> obviously we've heard John's been C uh, multiple CEOs for multiple companies. Um, and I just want to know, what would you say to a CEO who is not into fitness, mm -hmm. who's just going to work, pumping out the hours, coming home? What, well, why, so, what would you have? So to I interviewed say a, a, a a wellness physician, uh, he calls himself an executive health. He, he owns a, an executive health practice. So he uh -huh. works with CEOs, uh, lots of them. And he actually, uh, I interviewed him on my podcast recently and he recommends a book called dead execs. Don't get bonuses. Um, and so <laughs> I think that's a good starting point, <laughs> but look, it isn't even as, ex even as extreme as death. I think that anybody who hasn't seen firsthand how much better they feel from exercising. Don't do it because you want to feel better. Although I think that's enough motivation in itself. Do yeah. it because it's going to make your business better. If you're, if you're alive, that's better for your business. If you're happy, if you're less stressed, 
if you're healthy, if the, the reality is I can, if I skip, I, I prefer to get seven, seven and a half hours of sleep per mm-hmm. night, but because of my level of fitness, I can go three or four nights at three or four hours and it's not optimal. And I definitely don't feel as good, but I can still perform. Yeah, you can push through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that, I think do it because it's the right thing for your business and it's the right thing for your personal life. It's the right thing for the people around you and, and you're going to look better naked doing it, which <laughs> is just treat that as a nice bonus. Yeah. There you go. Added <laughs> awesome. All right. So all you CEOs out there, you know, obviously you're listening to this podcast cause it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, start working out if you're not. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to say that as eloquently as Stu would say, but I'd love to hear what Stu would say. I think it would have fat and then the F word and it would probably be definitely a couple (laughs) F words. Um, awesome. All right. So I'm going to go to this last segment and we're just going to hit a lightning round. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. You're just going to answer them. All right. So number one, what is your favorite cheat meal? My favorite cheat meal. You got one meal. What's it going to be? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. It's hard because I don't cheat often, but I, I would have to say it would be any. Well, okay. If it's one thing, I would say a cheesesteak and filling. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. My So my favorite cheat meal, which everyone gives a crap for, I don't know why, is Domino's a pizza and cinnamon sticks. And everyone says Domino's pizza is terrible. But it is. I think I, I was like going to say like pizza from a good shop in Brooklyn would be another good cheat, but hey, you got high class. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm still stuck on Domino's. Hey, go for your Domino's, whatever, yeah, whatever cinnamon cheat. sticks. Have you had them? I have. They're great. <laughs> They're delicious. <laughs> All right. Second question. What is your favorite workout? One workout. If you're going to, you know, you're going to write it up on the board. What, what's your favorite? Uh, well, workout? favorite in terms of just kicking the holy living shit out of me is Fran without a doubt. It, that's just really difficult yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that uh, don't know what Fran is, it's like John was saying, 21, 15, nine, which is a, a rep scheme that comes up in CrossFit a, a ton. It's 21, 15, nine of pull-ups mm-hmm. and thrusters, which a thruster is a front squat and uh, from the bottom of the front squat to overhead. So 21 pull-ups, 21 thrusters, 15 pull-ups, 15 thrusters, nine, nine, nine. My favorite workout is in all fairness is Murph, but that's more because of getting together and celebrating Michael Murphy. But, but if it's, if you ask me purely what workout kicks my ass more than anything, it's, it's definitely Fran. What is your fastest Fran time? Oh, geez. It's not good at all. Maybe, maybe I've broken the six minute mark once. I'm not a fast (laughs) Franner. I hear you. Well, I mean, that's fine. You've done it and I would agree. Fran is always going to kick your ass no matter what. Um, because the more you fit, the more fit you get, just the faster you have to go. And then the the harder, the harder it gets. So awesome. All right. Question number three. Um, what is a future fitness goal that you have set for yourself? And if you haven't set one, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You, You don't have to answer. I would really like to break a 40 minute Murph. Okay. Um, I've, yeah, that'd be, I've recently broke 60 with a vest and straight through, and I haven't tested it without a vest or straight uh-huh. through, but I, th- I, I feel like partitioned and, and n- normal weight. I'm probably in the 42, 43 range yeah. right now. I'd like to break 40 in my forties. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'll, I'll explain Murph too. Murph is a one mile run, a, um, and then you go into 300 or no, 100 pull-ups, mm-hmm. 200 push-ups, and 300 air squats while wearing a 20-pound weight vest. And then as soon as you're done with the uh, the squats, you go back out for a, another one-mile run. So it's really an ass-kicker, too. <laughs> I mean, every, every cross workout is as long as you push hard. Sure. Um, it's a lot of volume, though, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of volume. Um, 
And it's interesting to me now because Ironman training really puts things into perspective because I'll be going out for a five hour bike ride. Wow. And now it's, it makes Murph sound kind of short, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, Oh, it's only 40 <laughs> minutes. I do that. It's like a rest day. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I actually want to go back and try Murph after doing all this endurance stuff. Cause I feel like I could, I could give it a, a good, I, I feel like if I really wanted to make a run at a fast Murph, the best strategy would be to just lose weight. I'd stop doing bench press. <laughs> I'd stop doing strict press. I would just, I'd get down to 195, and that would help a lot. Yeah. It'd help a lot on the, on the pull-ups for sure. Yeah. And the yeah. run. Yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. So we got to get John a, a 40 minute Murph in, in his forties. <laughs> that, that's coming up. I got seven years left. So <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. I, I know you got it. Um, all right. Next question. Pineapple on your pizza or no pineapple? Do you believe in it? No pineapple. Why not? Cause the only thing that belongs on there is sausage, pepperoni, and banana peppers. Yeah, Anything right. else is superfluous. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. It's a, it's a huge debate. You're, you're talking to a guy who has maybe had two slices of pizza in six years though. So I am not the expert on this fair, one. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess this question kind of relates to the previous, the one before the pizza question. Um, but what is your number one, like bucket list fitness item? or like thing you want to achieve in your entire, entire life. You know, if you could do this, what, what would it be? Fitness? Yeah, this is a tough one. I think because I, yeah, I'd have to think about this a little more, but the Fair one, enough. the one that's coming to mind is I feel like the ultimate test of fitness. Fran is obviously a great one, but to me, um, extreme, um, scores on the, on the assault bike or the echo bike or yeah, John, the hardest. So John, John is real good on the assault bike. <laughs> and, and, um, I remember it was a big deal when I first broke the six minute mark for the hundred cal assault bike. And then mm -hmm. I broke the five minute mark. And for me, I'd really like to be able to break three and a half. My record right now is I think four sixteen. I think I have a line of sight to how I would break down to three, three thirty, but yeah. it's going to take a lot of training and, and I'd have to get a little bit smarter about how I do it. When you hit four sixteen hundred calories. How long did it take for you to be able to walk? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it, it, no, no joke, Chris. I probably laid on the ground for seven or eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just trying to get blood back into my, yeah. <laughs> man. Back, so, in, back into the extremities. So on this same thing, we, I was at every movement one day and it was 50 calories for time. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, man, you could beat a minute. You could beat a minute. And I was like, no chance. <laughs> and I don't know, why they talked me into it, but I tried to beat a minute on 50 cal. So I gave it like my, all. I was like, uh, I think my RPMs were like 120 for okay. a minute. And 120, I, wow, that's, yeah, that's a was, lot. I was giving her everything I got and yeah. I got <laughs> 50 cals in one minute and one second. Wow, that's, all, that's, that's fantastic. It, it, but I didn't get off the floor. I went straight to the bathroom because there's air conditioning in the bathroom okay. and it was like super hot. And so I laid on the bathroom floor for literally an hour. Wow. I was, I was trashed. So have you seen Bobby, you know who Bobby Maximus is? I do not. He's, he's, uh, one of the original Jim Jones managers or owners okay. and just a freak of, a, of an athlete, absolute freak in everything that he does. And mm -hmm. he, he did an 89 calorie Airdyne sprint in one minute once 89 <laughs> calories. It's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, so, all right. So 40 or a uh, hundred cows in three and a half minutes. That's, that's yeah. I think if you ask me a really concrete goal, that that's probably, that that's probably the one that would stick out is right. like the, to date what I think would be the ultimate benchmark in fitness. Look, I think there's other benchmarks that are interesting. Um, one that I've never really attempted, but like 
that Bobby Maximus talks a lot about mm-hmm. is 100, 100 reps, 225 bench. Um, cause you, everybody can get it done, but, but for me, it would probably take 30 minutes. I think Bobby does I it in nine or 10 minutes. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't bench 225. Ah, well then, but, but you could drop it to 185, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it, but, it, but would, it, I think those things that are like require strength and, but more importantly, like knowing yourself and putting a good strategy together yeah. are some of my favorite types of workouts. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. Number next question. What is your number one, uh, used fitness related app on your cell phone? Ooh, that's a good question. I use Wattify more than anything, but it's a piece of shit. And, uh, yeah, it does. It's, it's awful. Um, but how else are you going to see your workout? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I have no choice, but to use that, I'd say number one fitness app is probably my aura ring app. All right. Well, so the only reason I know what aura ring is, is because I was listening to your podcast, but explain to me what aura ring is because I had never heard of it before. Sure. So everybody has heard of Fitbit or the Apple watch and those are great tools. And the whoop is another really good one. They're all wrist based and that they work really well at telling you number of steps you've walked or your heart rate or your heart rate variability, which is really important. Um, for me, I'm a watch guy, so yeah. Fitbit doesn't work. Apple Watch doesn't work. I want to wear my my. Yeah, he's my got watch. legit legit watch. Yeah, so so I you know the the Aura Ring came about. I heard about it on Ben Greenfield's podcast on Dave Asprey's and a, and a few of the other kind of health nut and, and biohacking ones. And what it does is it gives you all of the same measurements, but it's in the form factor of a ring. And okay. so you can. Uh, but what they did that was brilliant was it only tracks real details while you're asleep and it tells you how deep in your sleep you are at any given point. So you get a report every day saying, this is how much dreaming you did. This is how much deep sleep. Um, this is what your body temperature did. This is your respiratory rate. But because it focuses on those details while you're asleep, the battery lasts really long. So you can go a week in between charging. And so you really can't use a Fitbit or an Apple watch <clears throat> to do both fitness tracking during the day and sleep tracking at night. So most people end up only using them for fitness tracking. Yeah, my, I'm surprised my Apple watch hasn't died yet. It, the battery's awful on them. Oh yeah. And, and you get why, cause it's doing a lot of things. Whereas yeah. this little ring gets, Oh, so that's it right there. Yeah. This is, this is it that I've got on right here. And, okay. um, I, you know, to me, it gives me a readiness score every morning. I think that if you do focus on your sleep, that's the number one indicator for what your day is going to be like. Mm-hmm. It starts to tell me on any given night, it'll say, we recommend you go to bed at this time. And it's tracking how your progress works and makes real recommendations. It'll tell you go big today because your heart rate variability is, is great. And, and it's usually pretty accurate. I mean, I, I'm normally not surprised when it says, take it easy today or go hard, but it's nice to see what yeah. it is that makes you feel good. So. And do you generally listen to the app or? I, w- I do <laughs> listen to the app, but it's not my primary. Like yeah. I, I, at this point, I'm usually pretty in tune. My body is pretty in tune with what I need. And so I've got okay. a pretty good feel, but it's, it's not, it's, it's just like I had a marketing professor at Duke who told me when I asked him, would you really make decisions based only on the numbers? And he said, no, but I'd rather have the numbers in my back pocket <laughs> and I'd rather be armed with it. But, yeah. It, but yeah, I, I probably trust myself more than I do the ring, but I do look to the ring to say, like, for instance, I started experimenting with CBD oil and mm-hmm it's nice to be able to look and say, I normally get five minutes of deep sleep, but when I take a hundred milligrams of CBD, I go up to an hour of deep sleep. Oh, really? Like that's, that's the type of thing that you can do yeah. with the numbers that you can't really do just based on your, your kind of gut feel and intuition. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. All right. Last question. Mm-hmm. What is the greatest fitness advice you've ever received? Hmm. 
Might have been from your boy in high school. That <laughs> it might have been. It might have been Dan Hayden. It, it, I, I think that the best advice though is uh, the best workout is the one that you'll actually do. So find right. a workout that you'll actually stick to yeah. and 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 run with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I don't know. I've kind of observed from listening to you in the for the last ninety minutes um, is that you really are drawn into a. A, a crowd, you know, if you have people that are doing it with you and are yeah. all, you know, focused on one goal, I think that motivates you yeah. and me, me the same, right. You know, we're doing this Ironman and there's 10 of us that are all doing it together and yeah. I, it wouldn't have been half as fun training and, you know, doing all that. Um, and that's if it, it wasn't if, for that. If, right? if you, if you might be the person who prefers suffering and solitude and then find your own workout that, yeah. you know, d- do the one that works yeah. for you, I think. Yeah. Is the, but, but like I was saying, right. Um, yeah. I think I've picked up that you really enjoy that, you know, group atmosphere and Absolutely. finding friends and having that camaraderie. And I would agree a hundred percent too, that it makes fitness a lot more enjoyable because you get that experience with other people and those friendships and yep. relationships. Um, so yeah. Um, all right. So I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Um, well, thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And thank you so much for hosting me in your, we're in John's uh, personal studio for his defiance podcast, but this place is decked out in gear and it's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say thank you for ha- letting me uh, come on over here. Sure. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to do it again. Maybe after I get fat again and then, <laughs> and then get back on the wagon. We'll <laughs> yeah. After, after you're traveling a ton or something, you, ne- you never know with you, you're always into something new. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So this has been uh like I said, amazing episode three with John Espy of how fitness changed my life. Um, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Here, I will hit um, the magic green button. The magic green button. Which is now <laughs> it's red, red right now. <laughs>